Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is the feature episode for January 2022. We're going to talk to Vicki Carter, who is a huge resource to other writers out there. In fact, you could even call her the author's librarian. Why not? She calls herself that, and I think it is an apt name. Uh, She's done a lot of work uh, to make life easy for other authors, both in terms of what they can find on her website and skills that she can teach you. So we're going to talk to Vicki. We're going to find out about her journey, some of the things that she can do for you if you are an author, why you should be interested if you're a reader. Uh, but before we talk to Vicky, I do want to remind you that Down and Out Books is the proud sponsor of Wrong Place or Right Crime. And each month we are visited by Lance Wright from Down and Out Books to talk about some new releases from the publisher. So let's hear what Lance has to tell us this month. Hi, Frank, and a very happy new year to you, your guests and listeners. We here at Down and Out Books are very excited about our publication schedule for 2022. And I want to start out with a new thriller from Vince Zandri, Moonlight Kills. When Dick Moonlight, P.I., and his professional impersonator sidekick, Fat Elvis, uncover the head of a decapitated, blonde-haired woman under the floorboards of an under-construction luxury home, They come into contact with a husband and wife construction team who also fancy themselves as Hollywood filmmakers. They quickly learn that Hollywood is just another word for hell on earth. And the fourth season of A Grifter's Song, a series you created and edit, premieres this month with episode 22, Dracula Wine by David Housewright. In this episode, Sam and Rachel take on a rich, uber-competitive businessman who will stop at nothing to win at everything. We're doing something a little different with the series this year, featuring the previous three seasons and upcoming episodes exclusively on Amazon. Anyone can buy their digital copy there, while subscribers to Kindle Unlimited can read them all for free. This is such a terrific series that we wanted to expand its reach to a broader audience. Thanks for having me, Frank, and I'll check in with you next month with some new titles coming out in February. All right. Thank you, Lance. Uh, The Grifter Song series is something near and dear to my heart, and I'm pretty excited about the new season kicking off. Uh, But the other author that he mentioned, Vincent Zandri, he's going to pop up later in the season in a grifter song as well. And in fact, uh, if you want to learn more about Vincent, he's been on the show. Uh, so go back and look at uh, previous episodes and you can find him and uh, you'll discover a, a lot of cool series that he has created and continues to create, uh, including being part of a grifter song. But let's move to this episode and talk to Vicki Carter, who, as I mentioned, uh, is the author's librarian who does a lot of great work that is very helpful to authors. Uh, and, um, well, let's hear her describe it to you. Here's Vicki Carter. Well, hey, Vicki, welcome to the show. Thank you, Frank. Thanks so much. So uh, you're here on this podcast, but I think we should just get one thing out of the way right away, and that is uh, you have a podcast as well. You're a podcaster yourself. I am. It is so much fun to be on this side of the microphone, I tell you. (laughs) It's a little different, but I enjoy it. I do. I have a podcast called Authors of the Pacific Northwest, 
And it pretty much started around the time yours did. Well, and that's actually how we first met, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, when you mentioned it, I didn't remember correctly. You had to (laughs) remind me, Uh, but it was kind of an interesting way to meet someone. Yeah, it was so great. So I started my podcast not knowing what I was doing. And mine's about authors and and the journey to publication and the journey, the writing process, because I literally knew no nobody that was writing. And I was writing in the closet. And I'm like, I want to become an author. My husband's like, okay. And then I'm like, I'm going to start a podcast. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm going to learn, right, how to do this. And I'm going to ask people how they do it. And then so that I started the process of developing the podcast. And we have a friend, my husband was in music industry for years, and she's a PR represent representation person, but she was teaching um, PR in a community college. And she was like, Hey, can I use you for this semester for my students to get to learn how to write PR um, notifications for the industry? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's great. So they interviewed me and all that kind of stuff. And they, the students went out to actually as an assignment and got me in on a newspaper article with you. And that's the first time we met was I got the article and you were on it. And I read it and I'm like, I got to find him. He's got to come on my show. (laughs) And I put you down. (laughs) That was the Bend Bulletin here in Central Oregon, in Bend, Oregon. And they were doing a uh, feature on authors who also have podcasts, if I remember right. Yeah, taking taking it to the airwaves, I think, something like that. It was was a cool article, actually. It's it's a it was a novel concept three years ago. Now it's not for us, right? (laughs) Yeah, so we were uh, almost trailblazers, I guess. Mm -hmm, Almost. At least least in the minds of the Ben Bulletin. (laughs) In Washington and Oregon, yes. (laughs) Well, um, that did lead to me having the opportunity to be on your show actually a couple of times. I think you had me on to talk about my work. And Mm -hmm. then uh, you had my uh, co-author Colin Conway and I Mm -hmm. on to talk about collaborations. So, Mm -hmm. um, and and I guess all of that is a good entry point into describing the work that you do, because you are really focused on being a resource to other authors and to, uh, to helping them. And one way, obviously promoting them on your podcast, which is a very effective way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do more than that. You've got a, a just a, a laundry list here. Of <laughs> I do. Resources. I got too many things. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about some of those. What are some of the ways yeah. that uh, that authors, because there are, are authors who listen to this podcast, what what's there to gain for, for an author? Awesome. So we'll just start out with my title. I have, I'm I've titled myself a couple of years ago, the author's librarian, because I actually have a background as a librarian. I'm a professional librarian. I have a master's degree and I work, I've worked in education, higher education for 12 years or more. And so it's very natural for me to just bring that out with the author's community. So really what happened, Frank, was when I was interviewing authors, I mentioned I'm a librarian and I always kind of talk about research a little bit. I'll ask an author where they got the research or how they did it, either off camera or on camera or on the audio. And so then afterwards, some of them found out as I was getting started, you're a librarian and they started to ask me questions. How do I do research? How do, when do you start research? All of that. And so from just talking with authors, I realized there is a definite need for this in the author's community. And so, um, so I started another project besides just writing my own book, right? And um, this last year, I did write a book called Research Like a Librarian, and I decided to go indie author um, for that. From all the experience from my podcast of learning from other authors, I found that was the best avenue for me. And from there, I've been doing a lot of 
kind of teaching in different realms. Um, and I'm developing on my website, I have a lot of free resources, um, theauthorslibrarian.com. And those are really geared for authors. Like um, I get from the most common questions I get like public domain, you know, so resources for authors of, of how to learn about the public domain, what they can use in the public from the public domain in their own work. I even have one for crime fiction writers because mm -hmm. you had me write, help me ask me to write a post for um, a blog that you were on and I created a resource for that. And now that's on my website and I'm trying to build a repository for authors that um, help them in the research process. Um, the other aspect is that from my book, after writing the book, I was getting a lot of questions of, okay, now you told me how to do research. Can you show me how to do research? And as an educator, I'm like, sure, I can do that. So I'm working, <laughs> I'm trying to build out a online course for authors that will be really inexpensive, but it will take what I talked about in the book and kind of narrow it down into four steps of how to do research in four steps to get authors the understanding of how to kind of do that. And it's not a scary thing. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. That's the project that I'm working on for this year. What is the biggest misconception or mistake that authors have or make when, when looking at doing research into something that they're not very familiar with? I love that question. That's like my number one question that I love to talk about. And I'll, I'll, I will call it, I won't necessarily call it a mistake. I'll call it a um, just kind of misconception. Um, we live in the digital industry world. Like our world is so digital. And so what authors will typically will do when they need to go find something is they'll immediately jump on Google. And um, I'm a Google basher, so I'm a librarian. So just know <laughs> Google and Wikipedia are my main topics of, of um, you know, contention as a librarian. And so instead of maybe doing uh, far conclusive research using reliable resources, which libraries, librarians, and online resources outside of Google Wikipedia can help authors, um, they'll just take whatever they get right off of Google and just kind of run with it. And that's totally fine. I don't have an issue with people using Google or Wikipedia for a first kind of idea generation, but what I really encourage authors to do is to strengthen their voices and their authority by having really good research, even if they don't use that research when they're in their book, but they're using it to help framework around their topics um, that they're writing on in their book, fiction it is very important that you kind of have to be a little bit of an expert, especially with so many voices out in the world that are writing. I mean, just take it for example, Frank, for you, you write crime fiction, but your background is in an area that lends to it. So your books will have some authority in the crime world where others that are writing crime fiction may not know the procedures um, to really make it feel authentic for readers. And the more that readers read specific genres, they're going to expect high level, you know, authenticity because there's so many voices out there. So you get, you already have that in your background, but if I'm writing that, I, I don't have a procedural background of any kind. So I can just wing it. Right. But my readers will know if they've read other people's books that have that background, I'm winging it. And it's kind of embarrassing. So, um, so I encourage authors to just research. Um, and don't just stop with Google. You can start Google and Wikipedia, but there's so many other options. And my book really lays out some awesome places you can start for free. And it's very curated in, in that book. And, and all of my stuff is curated from a librarian's perspective to make it accessible for any fiction writer to find what they need. 
And so that's called Research Like a Librarian. Research and, Like a Librarian, yeah. And you can get that. Um, it's right on, now on Amazon. And, and you can find um, out more about it on your website, theauthorslibrarian.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking to that research piece, um, you know, I haven't had to do a lot of research with a, a lot of crime fiction, but every writer has to research things. And definitely like Wikipedia is a great first stop to maybe answer a very basic question like, mm-hmm. uh, oh, who was president right before U.S. Grant or yeah, you know, whatever, yeah. that kind of stuff. But if you're going to write it, you know, historical fiction that takes place in the aftermath of the Grant presidency, you know, yeah, you're going to have yeah. to dive into some <laughs> Please material dive into something else. <laughs> a little better. Yeah. And one thing I found, and I bet this is in your book, um, is that there are entire groups mm-hmm. of people who cluster around a topic say mm-hmm. for instance you wanted to write about um well i just i just binged the the hbo series deadwood re- recently oh, gosh, which so is good. Yes. When, which is based <laughs> on real characters mm-hmm. uh, re- sometimes directly on a real person other times just mm-hmm. on, on mm-hmm. kind of types and there are you know historical societies that yep. are based on the history of deadwood I mean, yep. tombstone is another one that has yep. those or mm-hmm. there are, there's a larger society about just the old West that, yep. you know, there's these mm-hmm. groups. And, and so mm-hmm. you direct people to those kind I of do. experts so that mm-hmm. they, you, you, they can take you, make use of them. Well, you're going to love what I call those experts. I call them our secret agents as authors. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I go, I have a whole chapter of my book about, about how useful those types of individuals can be for your writing um, and how to access them and how to find them. And you can almost find a society or a museum associated societies. One thing people um, often forget, including authors, is that libraries and librarians and museums and museum curators are very closely related. Matter of fact, as a librarian, I can work in a museum as a curator. Um, it's the same skills, pretty much. And so um, a lot of people don't realize that almost every single community has a small historical society, a small um, museum, but also, like you said, almost every field out there has some sort of people that follow and curate information about that field. And so I call them secret agents in my book. And I talk a lot about how to engage individuals like that, how to find them. The number one thing that gets commented out of my book the most is you say, ask a librarian a lot. I'm like, yes, because there are (laughs) librarians all over the world that are waiting for you as an author to ask for their help. And And you're not bothering them. They live for that. I mean, you know, putting books back on the shelf is not the most exciting thing. (laughs) That's not what they got their degrees for, honestly. I mean, really, they're researchers is really what librarians want to be. And they will help authors like there's no tomorrow. And I always tell everyone, make sure you give back and and say who helped you as a librarian, because that helps other authors when you're looking through a book. Oh, this person helped this author in this particular topic. If I'm reading this book, it's probably something I'm interested in. Keep that in your mind, because that could be a resource for you, too. Well, and plus, it's only good form to give credit where credit Absolutely. is. Absolutely. And I talk a lot about that, too. Becoming a, a little bit of, a, of an expert on something, you know, really helps you in two ways, I think. It, it, you mentioned one way r- right away, and that is you get an accurate fact or setting or detail in there that just might be what clinches it for someone to really believe what you're writing or feel mm-hmm. like they're 
getting that sense of place and time and character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but even stuff you don't use subconsciously, I think it leaks in as you, as you work on, on your story. And so even if it's not a fact or, or detail, you actually include the fact that you know, it has an impact on your writing. I think it does. It really, really does. So research like a librarian, that is the resource, but you also have some courses uh, uh-huh. lined up and those some are, are some of those free or all of those paid um what's the I deal there I haven't finished building them out Frank honestly I I think they will be I'll, I'll offer probably one mini course for free um but the main course that will take everybody from um start to finish in four steps will be a paid course knowing that most of my authors that come to me are independent authors self-publishing authors and they don't have much of a budget it's going to be really inexpensive to do that but I do vision myself doing this full time somehow. And so, you know, when, as us, as writers and authors, you know, the whole thing, you don't always have to, you don't, you're not always going to make it just by books. You're going to have to do other things out there. And because I'm a teacher, I can't help myself. So I haven't gotten the price point down yet on that because I haven't finished all the production of it. I do know it's going to be um, very streamlined. I just don't, I'm not sure where that price point will be at yet. Cause I haven't finished it. <laughs> I think it's important to, you know, you want to make it affordable, obviously, but uh, you know, people value what they pay for too. And mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. to where people are going to show up and take it seriously, yeah. but it's going to be affordable. Um, the one thing that you can do is if you're interested right now, while you're waiting, I have a, a wait list for the course that's through my website. You can sign up for that. If you're interested, my biggest struggle, I'll be honest with you, Frank, is to convince authors that they need to do research beyond Google and Wikipedia. It's like a learning curve for some people, but I, I think I'm getting that message out, you know, in a friendly, helpful way. <laughs> and it depends on what you're writing and, and, mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, getting the details right is important. I've been told that there are certain groups that are more particular that you don't want to screw up uh, yeah. and uh, uh, guns, trains, and lighthouses seem to be pretty high on people's high lists. High on the list. You will uh, get, you will get emails <laughs> if you represent those inaccurate. I promise you. <laughs> we will get back to our interview with Vicki Carter in just a few moments, but uh, now is the time on the show where I like to turn things over to the experts and by experts, I mean, Well, in this case, authors who have been on the show previously who are here to make some book recommendations uh, for you. This episode, we're going to hear from uh, Michael Pencavage, Diego Ornelas Tapia, SF Cosa, and Spencer Fleury, who are going to share their recommendations. I hope you find a gem here. Uh, Let's see what they have to say. Hello, this is Michael Pencavage. I'd like to recommend the annual anthology, The Best Mystery Stories of the Year, the 2021 edition, series editor by Otto Penzler. Uh, The anthology has some great stories in it, notably by Doug Allen, James Lee Burke, John Floyd, Stephen King, Joyce Carol Oates, and David Morrell. So my name is Diego Nostapia, and I am the author of To Tame a Dame, a crime thriller set in L.A. in 1928. And I just wanted to recommend, uh, it's called Toyer, and the, the author is, is named Gardner McKay. 
what what really set this book apart was that it it's, it's focuses on a serial killer and what really is special about the serial killer is that his victims are all female and he he, he doesn't kill them you know like they're in the beginning it gets really intense there's a rape scene but he you know he does he's about to do it but he never does it and so the hunt is um they think the serial killer, the cops, the, some of the heroes, they think it's a, it's an actor because an actor can be anything. It's really, really well, well written and I highly recommend it. The book, again, is called Toyer, the author Gardner McKay. This is SF Kosa. Um, I also write under the name Sarah Fine. And I would like to recommend Bathhouse by P.J. Vernon, uh, which is a psychological thriller involving a guy who has an infidelity experience that turns pretty dangerous. And then as he tries to hide it, uh, his whole life starts to unravel. And I just particularly enjoy the pacing on this one. It's super nimble. Um, And the suspense is totally there. And it also, um, because it is an authentic dive into the world of gay men without fetishizing them, um, I just particularly enjoy uh, the portrayal and um, the depiction of the culture. So it's just a really riveting read that also just happens to be eye-opening and interesting all at the same time. Bathhouse by PJ Vernon. Hello, I'm Spencer Fleury, and I would like to recommend Friends of Eddie Coyle by George V. Higgins. To me, this is the prototypical crime novel. If you haven't read it, you really should. It's one of the earliest that I know of in the whole Boston gangster genre, which, uh, as we all know, has been done pretty hard over the last uh, last couple of decades now. But uh, this is the book that got me really aware of the possibilities of crime fiction, and uh, it really drew me into the genre when I first picked it up back in the 90s. The Friends of Eddie Coyle by George V. Higgins. All right, some cool recommendations there. Hope you discover somebody new by checking one of them out or check out all four. Uh, In the meantime, let's get back to my conversation with the author's librarian, Vicki Carter. Now, you don't just have the podcast and you Mm -hmm. don't just have the courses and Mm -hmm. you don't just have the, uh, the book, Research Like a Librarian. You also send out a newsletter. I do. Thanks for mentioning it. My newsletter is... I love my newsletter. Um, so I do, I have people that have signed up from the podcast and from just getting to know me. Um, and in that newsletter, I really try to just let everybody know what's coming out of the podcast, because I feel like my podcast, the authors of the Pacific Northwest is for readers. And it's also for authors because when authors come on, they read a part of their book for people that might be interested. So I have them actually read that gives readers uh, authors a venue to practice that skill because it's not necessarily a skill we all love to do, but reading your work connects readers to you, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And then I also, they also talk a lot about their journey. That's all we talk about is their journey through to publication. And it's such a great resources for anybody that's in this process, regardless of where you published. There's so many great stories out there from the podcast. So I get a lot, I have a, 
a newsletter from that. And then from all the authors library, and I've, I've merged them all together. I used to have newsletters that were separate and that became a lot of work. So now it's all just one from the author's librarian. And I try to make sure that I put free resources in there too. Besides the resources that I have, I'm starting to um, generate other resources to suggest to authors, hey, there's these really great books here. There's this to give value. I mean, because you know how email is, we don't open all of our emails. And so if we have people open them, I want it to be something valuable for them. For sure. For sure. I, I want to take a quick little side trip here uh, yes. because it, when, when someone jumps on either of your websites, uh, the authorslibrarian.com or authors of the Pacific Northwest, there is some bio information about you. Yeah. And one of the things yeah. that actually isn't about you, but affects you is that your husband is a musician. Yeah. And as a result of that, you've traveled a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where are some of the places that you've been? Uh, let's see. We've been um, to Kenya, which was fascinating. Um, we've been all over the United States and almost all of Canada. For the first 11 years of our marriage, we traveled with the kids. So I was newly married with little babies. So we traveled on the road as a touring band. So they lived on the road with adults. So all over what, the United what States. What kind of music? Uh... Um, contemporary Christian music at the time is called worship music. <laughs> so we traveled all over for that. But that wasn't his original route. His original was rock and roll. He's a rock and roll baby from the Seattle um, Portland region. And so he, his history is fascinating. And everybody asked me, when are you going to write his story? And I'm like, I'm working on it. It's, <laughs> it's very, very fascinating. So he, he was all pre grunge um, era. And so, um, so then we've been to Kenya, we've been to um, most of Europe, quite a bit of Europe, actually, my favorite is Ireland. And I want to go back to Ireland. We thought it was beautiful. Pretty Holland. Pretty yeah, my great. husband, my husband is Dutch, um, Irish. So he's second generation Dutch Irish here in the United States. So we got to go back to Holland and Ireland, which was really cool for Mm -hmm. him. So we've had an awesome experience. He's not playing music anymore, which is interesting because now he's just like, I'm letting all the creativity go to you. And he supports me 100%, (laughs) which is great. And um, awesome, awesome experience. You know, you've mentioned uh, Seattle, Portland area, mm-hmm. your podcast is authors of the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose it shouldn't be any surprise to anyone that that is where you're based in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, uh, Pacific Northwest gal through and through. Um, I wasn't born here. I was born in Southern Arizona. My parents moved here when I was 18 months and I haven't left. And honestly, we've had opportunities. We've had opportunities to go to Nashville and um, everything just keeps us here, keeps me here. And it's so funny because I've even had for my work experience, I'm not currently working as a librarian at my university. I work as a faculty member in another department. And twice they've asked me to work as a librarian, but the requirement was that I had to move to Salt Lake City, Utah. And I'm like, I can't leave the Northwest. I, my family's here. My kids are here. They're putting roots down here. <laughs> you know, I got babies mm-hmm. coming, grandbabies. Mm-hmm. And so um, we are Northwest people through and through. At least I am. My husband thinks he's a Hawaiian, but he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Well, you know, all of the work that we've talked about so far is geared towards you helping other writers research or promoting other writers, educating other writers. It's, (laughs) it's, it's very much uh, as a uh, support role, Mm -hmm. Um, but you are a writer yourself Mm -hmm. and you do write fiction. Mm -hmm, I do. Surprise. (laughs) None of it's out yet (laughs) because all this other stuff kind of 
took over. My whole idea was to write historical fiction. And I started this whole process with writing a book. It started in NaNoWriMo a couple of years ago, wrote the whole first draft. And then I'm like, now what do I do with it? And then this whole journey started. <laughs> I, I was on your show for the first time, like shortly after that Ben mm -hmm. Bulletin article. So we're talking mm -hmm. at least a couple of years ago. Yeah. And yeah. at that time I said, hey, you need to come on my show. And we kind of put it off for a while because we were going to wait till you had one of, you know, had your book yeah. out in the fiction yeah. realm. Yeah. And instead of finishing that and getting it published, you wrote a couple or started a couple more historical fictions. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> now, and, and then one other one that I want to talk about in a second, but, but sticking with the historical fiction a little bit, uh, what era of history are you writing in? Or is it all different for all three? It, so it's different for all three. So my first one that I started out with was in Queen Elizabeth era. So the two um, Shakespeare era, but I actually had to shift that after the first draft got done. I was working on book two for it. I realized where my characters were going didn't exist at that time because I did research. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to shift that. So I shifted up a, um, a little bit more towards the um, colonial times for us um, on our side, the colonial era. Um, and it, what it is, is I have a love for Elizabeth and era around the court of Queen Elizabeth, but that's not what this book's about. It's about a young woman coming of age during that time, but then we shifted over a little bit and her having to make some pretty dang hard choices um, because she's very independent and there's all this, you know, need for her to be married and all this other stuff. And so it's a very surprising example of what could possibly happen if a woman chooses not to marry. So that's what that's about. And it is a three book idea. <laughs> Two and a half of the books are written. And the first draft has already been gone through with um, my close writers group and editors. But then what happened was I sidetracked because the town that I live in is going to be 100 years old in a year, uh, I mean, two years, and I live in a, one of the original homes, a craftsman home in this area that my husband and I took over and redid, and so I have a real love for this community, and so I started to do some more research from jumping off from high school about the history when I learned about it in history, and it was a planned city from a, a lumber baron that came from the Midwest to here to the Pacific Northwest. And so um, around that, I started a historical fiction around this planned city and all the artifacts that we have in our library and everything. So that's the second book that I'm I was working on too at the same time. And then just recently, I started a, a mystery series, and, which is surprising because I love to read them, but I never thought I would write them. And I have these characters in my life growing up that have always been sheriffs or in the police force. And they've always been the most amazingly um, solid individuals I've ever known. This one character in particular that I'm using as a backdrop for this main character. And so he's going to help one of his um, friends, his daughter's friends solve a mystery. I don't know where that's going to go. I'm currently working on that one only right now, because as any writer knows, the muse, whatever muse comes to you, that's the one you run with. I can't seem to just focus in on one thing at a time, apparently. <laughs> Well, you know, they say women are better at multitasking and in my marriage is certainly true. And so maybe that's what's going on. You're just uh, too good at multitasking. Yeah, I um, might be, or too many voices in my head. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would encourage you to go back to that first one when you get done yeah, with this draft and, and knock that out and get, get, get some of your fiction out there for people to read uh, and start being the recipient of some of uh, the support that you've been the uh, giver of for, for quite some time. <laughs> 
Um, I did want to ask you a, a question. I don't know if it'll turn out the way I, I think it will or not. But, uh, you know, as as former law enforcement, you know, I watch police shows and, and mm -hmm. I see things that are just ridiculous. And it's mm -hmm. a, hu a huge gaffe, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. um, things that just irritate me. I'll tell you the biggest one. I've, I've shared this oh, before. Yeah, is, <laughs> well, it's just it's when a patrol officer or a detective rolls up on the scene of something hot and they're going to go into a dangerous situation and they pull out their gun and they rack the slide. <laughs> it just uh, it just irritates me to know and i'm talking about their sidearm their pistol yeah yeah, just yeah. irritates me to no end because <laughs> i don't know of a law enforcement agency a, a much less an individual officer who rides around without one in the pipe i mean it's mm -hmm. just standard mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know i mean if, if you're wired or maybe you let it rest on an empty chamber for safety but that's not an issue anymore no um <laughs> and so that just uh just bothers me to no end so as a as a researcher and mm -hmm. who's probably learned a lot by helping people with their research so you mm -hmm. probably are at least a quasi expert in a lot of different things mm -hmm. what's one of the biggest gaffes you've read or seen on a program or a, or a film oh, dear, that has irritated you the most <laughs> I'll tell you, my list is long and I try not to judge, but um, let me think about this for a second. Um, you know, there was a book that I read and it was actually a contemporary fiction. So something that would have been super easy for anybody to just go look up. I was, I would be okay with them Googling it and they would have found the answer right or right way. Um, so, so they, in this particular, oh, and I have another good one that comes to mind too. So tell me, me both then. Okay, good. So this one was basically just a discussion uh, between two characters about the political United States political um, structure, you know, it's something we learn in school, mm -hmm. but not all of us remember. And they were talking about a senator and how they get elected in and all this kind of stuff. And they totally botched it. Like there was not like even, it's a two year term or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was I'm like, and I didn't even need to go look it up because I kind of remember I'm like, oh, man, now they just lost a lot of credibility in my eyes because mm -hmm. the the ending of the whole premise of that book was this term that this person was in and their role. And it was like at the very beginning, they introduce it and explain it and how they got in and how it was it was just wrong. And I'm like, so it was part of their premise, essentially. It wasn't just yeah, a throwaway. It fact. wasn't just a throwaway fact. Yeah. And so Frank, the result for me on that book is that I can't really remember the title or author. And I only read a couple paragraphs in to that first chapter and I stopped reading it. And so that is one great example of how authors mm -hmm. can have great authority for the readers and keep the readers going, or they can lose their readers from facts. And another is a nonfiction scenario, but it's a nonfiction scenario that happens a lot. People will write self-help. You know, they, they have a great journey in their life. They want to share it as a, a memoir or they want to share it as self-help aspect. And so I picked up one. I was in my local nursery getting plants because I'm a plant addict. And so we were getting our spring stuff and they, and one of the owners, um, they have a Japanese heritage and she wrote a book based on Japanese principles for self-help. I'm like, this is so cool. So I picked it up, very hefty price tag too. And I'm like, well, I'm supporting a local author, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll bring her on my podcast. First chapter in, she quoted um, a leading American president. And then I'm like, that doesn't ring true. I don't remember him ever saying anything like that. So I did a search real quick because I'm like, this doesn't sound right. And of course it was misquoted, the wrong president quoted to a different one. And then she had um, all of her citations. So I went quickly to the back of the book, found out every single one of her references from Wikipedia. And I'm like, 
oh, as a librarian, that just kills me. <laughs> I mean, there's so many other ways she could have done this and, and somebody could have picked up on this. Mm. And you know what? That's another book I couldn't finish. Her credibility for me just, just sank. And I know that's snobbish yeah. of me, I guess, but I, I just want authors' voices to be authentic and and reliable, you know, if you're going to put yourself out there. <laughs> and, and I will say, I use Wikipedia frequently in the way that I described, but if, if I go deeper on anything, I mean, Wikipedia has citations. It and does. so you can go down to the citations and click That's on the that one source and then you can everybody. be like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. wow, that, that was totally misinterpreted or yeah. this is the source yeah. material and it's accurate. And then you can yeah. use the source material, yeah. which may lead you to other material. And so, and, and it should lead you to other material. If it doesn't lead you to other material, then you probably need to question the reliability of that source. I talk a lot about this in my, I have a whole chapter on Google Wikipedia and why I have issues with it. And I talk about the whole structure. Wikipedia is an awesome idea. I loved the idea when it came out, you know, but it has so many flaws because you can't verify who's writing the articles. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to something my wife talks about a lot and tries to instill in her seventh and eighth graders. Um, and that is critical thinking, mm -hmm. you know, and questioning things. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, it's a frequent source of minor and sometimes contrived irritation in our marriage when I'll say something and she'll be like, well, how do you know that? Or where did you hear that? Or what? No, and I'm my like, husband and feels I, you on this one, Frank. Trust and then me. I get all offended and butthurt about it. And I'm like, I, I know this, you know, but she's right to be questioning and to be critical in your thinking. And then, mm -hmm. and then doing something like what you described, wow, that doesn't really sound like Ronald Reagan. That sounds more like Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. And then go looking mm -hmm. it up and finding mm -hmm. out it was actually, yep. you know, George Bush. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Or something, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah. Wow. In the library world, we call that information literacy. It's just basically gathering information, have great literacy skills to decipher all of it. I go into that a lot in my book. And I also give a really awesome example of me and my husband's scenario, because once he tried to tell me my favorite American football team was um, on a list of cheaters. And I'm like, how do you know that? Where'd you get that? So he sent me in a text, this website about all these football cheaters and blah, 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 and all these teams and how this guy is figured out. And I'm like, I don't see an author's by name. I can't find out who this guy is or nothing. And so just a blog me, post basically. Yeah, it was. But it, this guy was really like every football team cheats. And he had examples of every reason why. So by the time my husband got home, I'm like, okay, let's sit down and have a talk about this website. And I made him pull it up. I'm like, where's the author? How do you find him? How do you know who he is? What's his credentials? By the time I got done with him, he's like, okay, I get it. I can't just send you websites and, make, mm -hmm. <laughs> and convince you of anything. And it's true. <laughs> uh, people, yeah, people tend to sometimes be a little too believing if they see it on, mm -hmm. on, on, on the internet. And it, yeah. anybody can put anything on the internet. And that Absolutely. includes you and me. And we yeah, could be true. wrong too. It's but true. Critical thinking and and also some meticulous cross-checking will yep. will tend to, I think, filter out most of those sorts of things. And, and certainly for a writer, you you don't want to be uh, falling prey to either somebody's, you know, just some somebody's opinion being represented as fact or having a wrong fact because you didn't double check. Well, and I've, I've been in situations where I've seen authors get called out and it's embarrassing for them, you know, um, because fiction writers in particular, people expect them to be a semi-expert in their area that they're writing in. And so, and I don't want to say this to scare anybody off from writing, please write, but, you know, just make sure that you do a little bit of research so you can stand up mm -hmm. for yourself and say, yeah, 
okay, so A, B, and C, you know, take the lesson of guns, right? Mm -hmm. um, somebody's going to call you out if you're writing a book that has a weapon in it and you use the wrong weapon or the wrong weapon of that era. Somebody somewhere on a Facebook mm -hmm. post, whatever, or even horrible place would be to criticize that in your reviews. Mm -hmm. And so um, the best thing to do is just arm yourself even if you don't, you know, you don't have to use all the material, but have it in a log somewhere where you have it written down, you can reference it. So then you could, you know, you have an understanding for yourself that you have the authority that, hey, no, that's the gun I chose because of this reason, you know. And if you're a reader listening to this and you come across a, a mistake, you know, the best thing to do, in, in my humble opinion, is mm -hmm. you know, reach out directly to the yeah, author as a, as a helpful hand. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've, I've received that kind of response from, from different mm -hmm. folks on different things. And, and honestly, sometimes they, they're wrong and they send me some information and it's like, yeah. mm, actually you're wrong, but I say, thank you anyway, because yeah, that, yeah. they cared enough to send it. Other times yeah. I've been like, Oh, thank God I published this myself and I can now yeah. go in and fix that. And, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. an hour from now that mistake won't exist anymore. Thanks yep. to you the yep. reader catching it, whether yep. that's a typo or yep. more along the lines of what we're talking about here, yep. factual mistakes. Yep. And um, I will be the first to admit when I make mistakes, I do it all the time. I'm dyslexic. So when I do my own websites and everything else, you'll find typos, you'll find mistakes. And I've had people call me out on it. You know, you, this website is dedicated to authors yet you misspelled this word. And I'm like, at first I'm devastated. Right. And I feel terrible. <laughs> and then it takes me a while to process that. And it takes me back to that little girl that didn't know how to write or read or anything. And then I just have to go back and say, Hey, thank you for pointing that out. Cause that makes me a better writer. Uh, and I fixed it. And so, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to authors. Any email to an author is good in my opinion, especially if the authors can see it as feedback to help improve them. And, mm -hmm. and it can start a dialogue. So if you are an expert in a particular topic that the author might've missed a point on, maybe you can be their expert moving forward, right? Or, and they, or secret agent, you mean? Yeah, that's right, the secret <laughs> agent. And authors, if you get those kind of emails, look at that opportunity as the opportunity of being, having that secret agent coming to you. You didn't have to go find them, they came to you. That's exciting. <laughs> Well, what you do is pretty amazing. Um, and, and your giving nature, I think should be should be celebrated. Thank and, you. <laughs> I, you know, I haven't had to do a lot of research for my primary genre, because uh, it's crime fiction. And as you mentioned, I have a background in that. But as I've branched out, um, you know, I have discovered how daunting it can be uh, to not be necessarily an expert. And I realized the little details that you have to be correct mm -hmm. on, like, you know, I mean, how do, what kind of footwear did they actually wear mm -hmm. then? Already having had a little bit of a foundation of knowledge, very quickly, I realized how many gaps existed in my knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I had to do exactly the kinds of things you describe, go look in different places and educate mm -hmm. myself to mm -hmm. try to just find those few little details mm -hmm. that lent that authenticity to the, yeah. to the story. And, and yeah. then I ended up writing a story called Titus, my brother. Um, and so I hope that somebody listening to this decides to reach out and get some help from you or learn something from you. So. Yeah. Um, let's, let's run down where they can do that real quick sure. before we leave. Yeah. Yes. So the main website that I am working on the most is the authorslibrarian.com. All one word, exactly how it um, sounds and spelled. Um, but it will jump off onto my first website that hosts um, the podcast, but everything is on the authorslibrarian.com. The second website is squishpin.com 
which has turned into my book publishing scenario and, and everything now. So, so, but um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm very active online, except for this month, the month of December. Um, I generally take some time off um, to just recharge, um, but I, <laughs> which I need um, to do, but I'm very active on social media as well. I actually just started a thing on Twitter that if somebody, an author has a question, a librarian question they need answered, ask me on Twitter and um, you can do that and I can answer it as best I can. I will say as best I can, because generally the questions that I get from authors are typically the same for other authors. And so mm -hmm. I, I believe in, you know, sharing that information. So the authorslibrarian.com is the first place to really start and you can connect to me on social media that way as well. All right. Well, it's been a long time coming to get you on yeah, the show, Vicki, and uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the listener wouldn't know it, but it was a long time getting the show rolling with some technical <laughs> difficulties, but oh, we overcame world. both. Yes, we did. <laughs> well, Frank, thank you so much. I have just cherished our friendship from afar um, because you were the one of few authors that I knew that was doing a podcast as well. So I just cherished the moment to be here with you. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on the show and I'm looking forward to whichever book you decide to put out first in the fiction realm. Awesome. I'll let you know for sure. <laughs> All right, folks, there you go. Vicki Carter, the author's librarian, a uh, very high energy person, very nice woman. And uh, she's doing a lot of really good work that if you're an author, you can uh, make use of and improve your own writing. Uh, and as a reader, you can rest assured she takes her own advice and her work will be well researched. So check that out as well. Uh, the podcast that she does is fantastic. I've had the pleasure of being on it couple of times actually I was on it once uh, as me and I was on again to talk about collaboration with uh, one of my frequent collaborators Colin Conway so check out uh, Vicky's work both podcast and otherwise and you won't be disappointed on the next episode of wrong place a right crime we are going to meet Rhonda Armbrust, who uh, writes a series with a little bit of woo-woo in it. So if you like uh, the paranormal uh, or the extrasensory or however you want to phrase it, you will find some of that in her work. Um, that'll be on the next episode of A Wrong Place, A Right Crime. Quick Zafiro update for you. Season four of A Grifter Song is up and running. Dracula Wine by David Housewright is Already available, having dropped on the 1st of January. Uh, great story. And on February 1st, uh, the next episode will drop, and that is Diamond Dogs by Gabriel Valjean. Uh, Grifter Song is a series that I created and edit and sometimes contribute to. Uh, there will be seven episodes this season, just like every other season. Uh, and, well, what the heck? How about uh, an exclusive here? Right now, I will share with you the author's who will be contributing to the series this season. So we have David Housewright kicking it off, followed up by Gabriel Valjean, and then Trey Barker will have the episode dropping in March, followed by Vincent Zandri. And then we'll have a Kat Richardson and Paul Garth, although that order may flop. But they will be the fifth and sixth episodes. And we're finishing out the season with an episode from Hillary Davidson. So that's your roster lineup for season four of A Grifter Song, starting in January 2022 and running through July. 
A new episode will drop on the first of each month, and all previous episodes remain available. All right, I want to say thanks to Vicki Carter for coming on the show, uh, being a great guest, and for all that she does to support authors out there. Uh, it's much appreciated. And uh, if, if, if you haven't made use of her services yet and you are a writer, I would suggest checking them out. Also, I want to say thank you to Down and Out Books for sponsoring the show. To Michael Pencavage, Diego Ornelas Tapia, SF Cosa, and Spencer Flurry for throwing out some book recs for you to check out. And of course, as always, thank you, the listener, for being here, for listening to me chatter with these wonderful guests. Uh, we'll be talking to Rhonda Armbrust on the next episode. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. Mm-hmm.